Alrighty, welcome back to Views from the Hill, episode, I think, four. Yeah, episode four. Hogs are 2-0 and after an interesting win over Kent State on Saturday in Fayetteville. It was probably one of the more boring Arkansas Razorback football games I've ever watched, and I don't think those words have ever come out of my mouth before. Even when we had Chad Morris and we're getting our butts kicked in, I never really considered any game boring. Saturday was just flat out boring. Kids Day had the ball the entire first half. But yeah, basically like yeah, almost the entirety of the first half. Only scored twenty one points offensively. Hogs on twenty eight to six. It was just an odd game to say the say the least. And it definitely raised some questions coming into this week, but we'll address those later on in the episode. But week two of college football was wild. Upsets all over the place. Some of the I mean, week two of college football, I feel like every single year is kind of the year that – or it's kind of the week where you see a lot of the big-time non-conference games and there's just pure chaos that happens. Like, I know we talked about Bama-Texas last week. I would have never have wanted Texas to have beaten Bama. Although I can't stand Alabama, I'm tired of them winning. I would have rather any other team beat them than Texas. Texas walked into Tuscaloosa and just honestly wasn't close. 34-24, Texas, and Alabama's got themselves a problem at quarterback. The Milrow kid ain't it. Makes bad throws. Yeah, he's a hell of an athlete, great runner. That dude is not a very efficient quarterback. All you got to do is stack the box, put a spy on him, and you basically contained him. Alabama had a lot of penalties that hurt him. There's just not as many big-time playmakers or big-name playmakers that we're accustomed to Alabama having. They don't have that really at wide receiver like they have in the past. I know I've talked about it in past episodes, but they don't have a John Mechie. They don't have a Jameson Williams. They don't have freaking Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs. They don't have a Najee Harris back there at running back. Cameron Law to it, tied in Irv Smith. I mean, you go down the line of all the talent that's played at Alabama. The best guy that I got right now is Ja'Cory Brooks, and you might not hear from him at all one game. The next game he might pop off. You just never know. It's really inconsistent. Moving on, Nebraska, Colorado. That was a lot to a little. Uh, Colorado's good. I mean, the Matt Rule era hasn't gone the best at Nebraska so far. I know we're only two games in, but – Colorado's hosting game day this week. This week, week three of college of college football is probably some of the worst matchups of the year, honestly. I mean, it's a week where a lot of teams play cupcake games. Week three normally is, but who knows? If Arkansas, if Arkansas or BYU was ranked, I really think Arkansas would have had a chance of getting game day. I really do. Or if Colorado wasn't 2-0, but, you know, whatever. Ole Miss beat Tulane at Tulane, 27-17. They were down 17-7. Come back and win that game, 27-17. I think it was 27-17. Might have been 27-20. It's a lot of sevens just said in a row. A&M at Miami. Did not think Miami would game near Hank 50 on A&M. That was beautiful. That was amazing. I mean, there, there wasn't an answer that A&M had for Miami. I will say A&M's offense – this is the best-looking offense I've seen them have in what feels like a few years. The Wegman kid's a good quarterback. They got Elijah Stewart, Moose Muhammad at wide receiver. 
I mean, they got some talent. They had talent last year. So, I don't know. It'll be a tough matchup against them. But these next two weeks really determine how I feel about that game, which I do think the A&M game, unfortunately, will be an 11 a.m. game because you got 6.30 kickoff this week with BYU. You got 6.30 in Death Valley at LSU the following week. Arizona at Mississippi State. Mississippi State won 31-24 in overtime, which was kind of concerning with it being at Starkville because <laughs> Arizona's not really not that good of a football team. And frankly, I thought they had every opportunity to win that game. Auburn at Cal, Auburn only won 14-10, was a boring Pac-12 game. You normally look for nothing but fireworks with those late-night games, but yeah, it was pretty boring, to say the least. Last thing before we really jump into the episode – as most of you know, I'm a diehard Jets fan, and I don't know why it is that we're cursed the way we are, and I know this is a raceback football podcast, but my word, I've never seen MetLife so electric Monday night. Rodgers comes out on 9-11, leads the team out with the American flag. You can't paint a better freaking picture of a start to a career. Jets get a quick three and out. Brees Hall, or Jets take over on possession. Brees Hall breaks about 30-yard run. Then three plays later, Aaron Rodgers tears his freaking Achilles. Everyone has heard the news. But I just don't think there is another fan base as cursed as the New York Jets. The fan base right behind them is probably the Arkansas Razorbacks in terms of football. But you can't make this shit up with the Jets. I really hope Aaron Rodgers doesn't retire. I don't really care if people are still listening to this part of the episode. This is just a quick jet soapbox because I've been an emotional freaking roller coaster the past two days. I'm going to the Jets game this Sunday, and hell, my fiance is really only excited, or she was really only excited because she loves Aaron Rodgers. Well, you know, not playing. Whoop-de-doo. Doesn't matter. Jets still going to smoke the boys. Smoked them boys in Dallas this weekend. But golly, I could go on for days about the Jets and just the misfortune us fans have had to suffer and endure over the years. But I don't want to pain y'all anymore. Next, we're going to get into the hog topics, you know, offensively, defensively, quick BYU preview, some questions that were asked on Instagram, basically opening the mailbag and what needs to happen Saturday in my score prediction. Alrighty, getting back to the good stuff. I know what I talked about earlier in the intro about how Saturday is one of the most boring games I'd ever watched as a Hog fan, and I truly mean that. The first half was one of the most unexciting halves of football I've ever watched. Ever. I mean, outside of the Antonio group pick six, but... I mean, FCS games are weird. Playing these FCS teams, Kent State got ran off the field by UCF. But I, was, I listened to the walk and talk with Trey Biddy, and he made a good point in the walk and talk after the game Saturday by asking the question, is this game, the Arkansas versus Kent State game, a red flag showing us Arkansas just isn't going to be that good on offense, or is it a wake-up call that will push them to be good on offense, maybe wake them up a little bit? I mean, that's a great question, and it's a pretty simple question, one that a lot of us have right now. But this question's got to be answered this week. Because if it's not, 
we might be getting thrown to the wolves in Death Valley next Saturday night because it's real hard to walk into Baton Rouge and win a night game. I know we did that the last time we went in there, but we're a lot different football team than we were then. I do think top to bottom we're more talented than we were in 2021. Yeah, we don't have talent like Traylon Burks on the team, but top to bottom we're better talent-wise, I think, a two, from a two-deep perspective. But the third option to Biddy's point that's not mentioned there is that, you know, this may have been a game that was just one of those weeks. But regardless, 21 offensive points against a program that basically lost all of their talent to the transfer portal that wasn't even bowl eligible out of the MAC is pretty alarming. I think we all know that. But I talk about how weird FCS games are. Southern Illinois played on Saturday, and in week one, they beat Austin P. 49-23. Really not a close game. And then Austin P. Only loses Tennessee 30-13 to in a game where Tennessee couldn't get the ball in the end zone against them. They had to score late to really pull away in that one. Another example, Kentucky barely beat Eastern Kentucky in Lexington 28-17 on Saturday. <clears throat> this Eastern Kentucky team in week one got obliterated by Cincinnati 66-13. Last example, Alabama just porked. Middle Tennessee State, 56-7 in week one. And I know what you guys are going to say. It's Alabama. But then this Middle Tennessee State team walks into Mizzou and really should have won the game. They lost 23-19. You just never know with football sometimes. You really don't. Especially in week two, it's unpredictable. seems like there's upsets all the time. But offensively, just some of the takeaways, I mean, we all know what the first point's going to be. It's about the offensive line. Got to figure things out. Got to get a push. But, you know, what didn't help our offensive line is the vision of our running backs. A.J. Green was the only one to remotely see a hole the other day. And Dominique Johnson, when he got in, Rashad Dominion couldn't see a hole to save his life the other day. I mean, that, his vision was terrible. Bounced a lot of runs outside that he really didn't need to. If he'd just be patient for a second, the hole was developing in front of him. And I'm not vouching for the O-line because they definitely have a lot of work to do. As you can tell, we were rotating in offensive linemen throughout the game the other day, which is something you don't really see, which is something that Sam Pittman was asked about in the press conference and something that really kind of pissed him off. But you got to answer the tough questions as a head coach, especially a head coach of SEC West Ball Club. Another thing about our offensive line is we don't act like we've ever seen a twist before or a stunt or anything like that. Kent State, talent-wise, doesn't belong in the same field as us. I mean, hell, UCF ran for 300 yards on them, had 700 yards total offense. And for some reason, they were – I mean, we went – we had three straight three and outs to start the game. Three. That's pretty bad. And granted, I still feel pretty good about this Saturday's game, but you don't want to see three three and outs in a row against a team like Kent State. And I know throughout the early part of the year – like or well before even the season started, everyone questioned or everyone's main question was, you know, what's our offensive tackle play gonna look like? Has it is it a concern? You know, we don't this is the first time we don't have returning tackles or a returning tackle in quite a long time. But the tackle play really hasn't been that bad. <clears throat> hasn't been great, but hasn't been that bad. The guard play is what's been concerning. Tyke Crawford and Jonathan Braun have just flat out not played good football these first two games. They reach a ton. 
they reach at least the holding penalties. It leads to them getting beat. Tykes Crawford was a big-time four-star prospect coming out of high school. Once committed to the Razorbacks, decommitted, went to a smaller school, then we picked him back up. Tackle didn't work out for him, so we move him inside to guard to make it a little bit easier, and he's still struggling. The guy's got to figure it out. And then Jonathan Braun, I just kind of expect more from a guy coming from Florida. An SEC caliber offensive lineman, you kind of expect more out of him. And we may see better. You know, it's, it's this is only after two games. They're in a brand-new offense. But regardless, the offensive line play has got to step up. As most of you know, Rocket Sanders is out once again against BYU. I bet he comes back against LSU. He just has swelling in his knee. And thank God for the transfer portal because Isaac Tesla, that dude has glue on his hands. Some of the catches he made Saturday, from my angle, the catch he made in the second quarter on third and long where KJ threw it down the middle of the field, and he was in the middle of three Kent State defenders, laid out and caught it. That was one of the most impressive catches I have ever seen. Hell of a throw by KJ, even better catch by Isaac. He got Andrew Armstrong. He scored two touchdowns. He's leading our team in receiving touchdowns. He's got four already on the year. But those two are the only receivers that can really catch the ball consistently. Jaden Wilson had a really bad drop the other day on third and 10 that would have given us first down. I believe it was the third drive of the game for us. Luke Koss has played very well at tight end. Did not see much of Arkeese Gums on Saturday. The main, or did not see much of Ty, Ty Reese Washington either. The two tight ends we're really seeing are Luke Koss and Francis Sherman. And a lot of people don't even know who Francis Sherman is. But he's a transfer from Louisville. And I don't think he'll, he'll ever run a route this entire season. I hope I'm wrong. But there's a common denominator here as to why he's playing, is that he's a good blocker. Lucas is a great run blocker as well. He can also, you know, he'd do well in pass protection if he needs to as well. Same with Francis Sherman. That says something about the other three tight ends we have. Nathan Bax, Varkis Gums, Tyrus Washington. They're not good run blockers. You got to be able to do both as a tight end. Got to be able to block, got to be able to catch passes. You know, yeah, you're out there to be another offensive weapon, but you got to be able to block. It seems like those guys can't right now. So that's why we're seeing Haas and Francis Sherman a little bit more. And I know after Saturday, it seems like KJ didn't do a hot, but do a whole lot, but he, according to Pro Football Focus, he graded out as the top college quarterback in week two. Don't know how they grade that stuff, but he did. Had a bad day, still accounted for three touchdowns. They were pretty lucky to have KJ, and people people really take that for granted sometimes. One thing I do want to see more of, I really want to see some more Isaiah Satania. I really think that guy can be electric with the football when he get when he gets the ball. He can be electric in the return game, but you know we could want to see him all we want to on the field, but he's got to find his way on the field first. So hopefully we see that Saturday. Defensively, Dwight McLaughlin's dealing with turf toe. He played one play on Saturday, and then I guess it wasn't feeling good, so he sat the rest of the game. Keon Stewart came in, the transfer quarterback from TCU, fresh off of going like 300 miles an hour in a 25. But you know what? Doesn't matter. Dude's on the field. Played pretty well. Played every snap. The only other cor- the only corners that rotated were Ladarius Bishop and Jaheim Singletary. But I like that we don't really know or we don't hear our corners' names called a lot. That means they're not throwing the ball at them, which is a good thing. They're going to get tested this Saturday. It's going to be the biggest test. Our defensive line and just front seven overall 
is spicy. D-line's deep. <clears throat> They're talented. I want to see some sacks because BYU's going to throw the ball more. But, I mean, we're really able to generate pressure with rushing four. And I hope this can continue in a conference play because if it can, it's going to make life so much easier on our secondary and make life so much easier just on our defense in general. If we can generate pass rush or consistent pass rushes and blow up run plays without really having to blitz at all, just having four dogs on the defensive line, they get tired of running four more dogs. At linebacker, I was a little bit worried about the depth. Um, Jaheen Thomas is a dog. That dude had a play the other day where he comes from – or he we ran a delayed blitz and he come running down off the butt of the nose guard or our D tackle. And that poor running back from Kent State got in his way and got trucked. Jaheim forced him out of the pocket made, and the guy made a bad throw. Jaheim Thomas flies all over the football field. That dude can hit. Antonio Greer, first play as a hog, pick six. It's like Brad Spence in week one, his first play as a hog, pick six. Back-to-back pick sixes, I can get behind that. I'm about that. Antonio Greer got a lot of action because Pooh Paul was suspended the first half due to the targeting call, but we got three – I mean, we got four or five really talented linebackers. Pooh Paul, James Thomas, Antonio Greer, Jordan Crook, Brad Spence. That's some good talent there, especially when you run a 4-2-5. You don't have to have four backers out there at all times unless you're in a short yard situation on the goal line. But, yeah, I mean, the defense played really well. The momentum for them has to continue coming in this week because we're going to need it. All right, so quick BYU preview. BYU fans are chirping. Chirping online, thinking we're going to be an easy dub. They joined the Big 12. For some reason, they think they're all big and bad. So welcome these Mormons to the fucking show. I guess they forgot about what happened last year. We walked into their place and hung like 50-something on them. We're going to show these chumps what the SEC West is really about. They can stay in that parochial league at the freaking Big 12 they're in. Just some of their stats to go off of. We'll go over these real quick. They got a quarterback, Caden Slovis, former USC Trojan, former Pittsburgh Panther. <clears throat> we'll be there at quarterback for him. Then they got L.J. Martin, who's a running back from – sorry, someone just distracted me. They made eye contact with me in the middle of that point. It was a little awkward. Uh, L.J. Martin's our leading running back. He's a true freshman. They've only run for 118 yards on the entire season. That's like an average day for Rocket Sanders. Their leading receiver is a tight end. However, Keanu Neal is back this week. He's one of their only returning receivers from last year. And they have two takeaways on the season, just two interceptions. They have – their leading tackler, Ben Bywater, has 16 tackles on the season. He's leading the team in tackles. They average about 27.5 points per game. They average 80 yards on the ground rushing per game and about 250 through the air, so about 325 yards total offense per game. That's just so-so. But there's just a little bit of team stats to go off of, but Offensively for BYU, they're a very pass-heavy team, like we talked about. They only have a hundred, or their leading rusher has 118 yards on the season on 22 carries. That's not a ton. So they like to throw the ball more so than they like to run it. They do a lot of pre-snap note motion, kind of like a Kendall Riles offense, where 
They just want to see what the defense is doing, if the defense is shifting, try to get their eyes moving different places before the ball is snapped, try to get us out of position. They'll run a lot of screen plays, play action, motion swing passes. Like we talked about, Keanu Hill is back. Caden Slovis on Saturday threw for 350 yards and four touchdowns. I know they played Southern Utah State, West Plains, but that's not actually who they played, but whatever. The school wasn't very good. I know Kent State wasn't good either, but I see they're over there. From last year, they lost Jaron Hall, who's currently a Minnesota Viking. They lost their top running back, who's a cow transfer. They lost Puka Nakua, who's a dog for the Rams. Uh, they lost another one of their top receivers. And so they've lost a lot of their weapons on offense. they got a lot of new faces. So I'm glad we're playing them early in the year. But like I talked about earlier, this is going to be our secondary's biggest test because we haven't played a team that really airs the ball out as much as this team will. And they're going to try to. But I don't think they're going to. I don't think they've seen a D line like ours yet. This team only scored 14 points on Sam Houston State in their first game of the year at home, and they had to score a late touchdown to pull away. It was only 7-0 going in the fourth quarter. <clears throat> Defensively for BYU, this is their best unit. They have a really stout defense. They only allowed 17 points the whole season. They run a three front. That's what they present a lot. They run a th- they run three down linemen, but just to throw off the quarterback, they'll walk down both outside linebackers or just one of them down to the line of scrimmage right before the play starts. Or you know the, they do a lot of pre snap movement, try to confuse the quarterback, almost disguise a five front or a four four look, which means they're about to load the box, do what the first two teams did that we played this year, Western Carolina and Kent State. They're going to load the box, try to make KJ throw it. They have a solid trio of linebackers that are very experienced. <clears throat> they got a, they run a lot of delayed blitzes where they will run that three front and then have a nose guard over the top of the center. And the nose guard's sole job is to just basically clog up a gap or take two linemen with him, push the center far enough back that the guard has to help, and then they'll bring a linebacker blitzing right off his butt running free right up the middle, so he has to be gap sound. What that means is that we stay in our gaps. You know, if you're an interior lineman, you protect the A and B gap, primarily the A gap, you know. And then depending on the front, if there's a three front, you protect A gaps. If there's a four front, you'll worry about the A and B gap. But regardless, Sam Sam Pittman compared them to Mississippi State in terms of their defense, which I really don't get that comparison, but that's whatever. Now, what needs to happen on Saturday – we have to establish the run, control time possession, and just I want to see more energy offensively, more efficiency on the offensive side of the football. And overall, I just want to see us, you know, come out with a lot more juice. We came out flat against Kid State, really flat. You can kind of tell we walked out there after hanging 50-something on Western Carolina, like, all right, you know, these dudes suck. We're going to roll over them. Next thing you know, we were losing to start the game. And they had the ball the entire first half. And we we churn out three three and outs. That's the definition of playing flat. It really is. We have to make BYU play our game, which is similar to last year. We're bigger, faster, stronger. And overall, BYU's not on the same talent level as us. Because honestly, in my opinion, a school like BYU, it doesn't really benefit from the transfer portal because 
Who wants to go to a school like BYU? I'm sure most of y'all know about the Mormon ways and the way of that school, and it just doesn't seem like a very fun school to go to. Let's be honest. And I don't know what they offer NIL-wise, but if I was a big-time college recruit in the transfer portal, I'd probably let to go to Utah over BYU. Regardless on what you think about the football program, just going to school at BYU would be odd. And I'm not talking about anything they do religiously. I think most know what I'm getting at there. It's just a weird, weird school, a lot of weird vibes. And kids nowadays are driven by money. And sure, a lot of them say they're driven by football, but they're driven by money and what seems like the most fun school to go to. And BYU doesn't check either of those boxes for me. <clears throat> All right, so back to the game. They're going to sell out on the run like they did last year. They're probably load the box and man us across the board, which they can do that all they want to. Isaac Tesla, I'll go cook every single one of those boys. I don't know if you remember what KJ did last year. Account, I mean, we scored seven touchdowns last year. Did we score seven touchdowns? Yeah, we scored seven touchdowns last year in our game. I think we kicked two field goals as well. But out of the seven touchdowns, KJ threw for five and Rocket accounted for the other two. KJ threw for almost 400 yards, I believe. I mean, he shredded BYU. Matt Landers had three touchdowns. AJ or Rashad Dabinian had a touchdown. And I think AJ Green had a touchdown catch as well. So, I mean, I, I really think we're going to, I think personally on Saturday, we're going to come out energized. We're going to come out pumped. I know a lot of people are going to be in town for this game. Sam Pittman's really been instilling in the guys. You know, you can't come out flat against this team. And just from what the guys on 24-7 are saying, that the team seems like they're pretty amped for this game. You know, it's first night game in Fayetteville, big-time non-conference opponent. Time to go out there and really make a statement and prove a point that this Arkansas team is for real, that we aren't a team that's going to fold in close games like we like we did last year. We're not a team that you know, seems to lay down if we play a big-name opponent like an Alabama or something. It starts on Saturday. You come out and make a statement Saturday, you got a lot of confidence going into Baton Rouge. A lot. And I can go down a hole about you know, ranting on LSU. I'm not going to do that. I'll save that for next week. But Saturday is the first big test of the season because also Saturday is the last home game you play for a month. Because then you go to Baton Rouge, we play A&M in Dallas, and you go to Ole Miss, and you go to Bama, and then we're back home. And then we have a bye, and then we go to Florida, and then we're back home. So basically this is almost the last home game for a month and a half. And I think we come out firing. I think we force some turnover Saturday. I think, I think we're going to score a lot of points. Frankly, I think we're going to beat the hell out of them. And I know I might sound a lot more confident than others, but I just don't think this team belongs on the same football field as us. I don't think this team is near as talented as they were last year. And we're a much more talented team, in my opinion, now than we were last year. And the team last year that BYU had couldn't hang with us. And we have a better defense. So, you know, that math, math. I think we're going to smoke them. Defensively, 
Just keep playing with the freaking swagger we have been. Make life hard on Caden Slovis. Force tough throws. Swarm with the football. Generate some turnovers how we have these first two weeks. Turnovers are huge. We Another thing about last year's team, we didn't know how to generate a single freaking turnover at all. I mean, yeah, we got some. Hell, we got two in the BYU game last year. Look what happened. Difference in the game. All right, lastly, my score prediction for the game, I did have is 34-14 Hogs. After talking about BYU this way, I think we're going 38-10. We've only given up one touchdown all year. We've only given up one on Saturday. I could see them scoring early on like a, you know, we send the house. We have a guy get beat. They hit us for a big play, and then after that, we just run it down the throats. I just want I just want an efficient run game Saturday. I want to see the offense more opened up. And I don't want to see any miscues like we had on the goal line. On I thought our red zone issues were over with. On Saturday, we get the ball like third and goal from the one, and we line up in a jumbo package, and we, we get hit with the delay game. That can't happen. That's coaching. That cannot happen. We've got to finish our drives, finish in points. I think Dominic Johnson has a big week or has a big game Saturday. I think Isaac Tesla and Andrew Armstrong are going to have big games because I don't think BYU's got guys who can cover us man-to-man. They can't run with us. All righty, last thing we're going to talk about is the mailbag. Of course, he's had, these are you know, just fantastic questions. First one, how bad are the Jets going to lose to the Cowboys? I don't know. I could see the game being like 7-6 to six because we have ass Wilson at quarterback. And the Cowboys just haven't seen defense like the Jets. And the Cowboys have really good defense. God, if we had Aaron Rodgers, oh my lord, oh my lord, that's a, that's a that's a topic for another time. But yeah, I mean, Paige and I, my dad and Joey, we're sitting. I mean, we're basically going to be at the top of the state. But I don't care. It's going to be a fun game, fun at, fun atmosphere, home opener for the Cowboys. I think the Jets will be underdogs which won't surprise me. I mean, if Zach Wilson plays well, I'm not holding my breath, but if he plays well, I think we got a good chance, but who knows? Cowboys got tough defense. They're going to make it hard on him. What is my honest outlook on this upcoming weekend against BYU? Kind of touched on it, but I really do think that the Hawks should win this game. We have to, and we have to do it in a dominant fashion to really, I think, make ourselves and the fan base feel good about going into conference play. In the, in the gauntlet of a four-game stretch we have coming up. Because I think Saturday is a must-win. If you lose Saturday and there's a chance of dropping four in a row on the road and we're sitting at two and four, coming back home against, I believe, Auburn or Mississippi State, one of the two, I believe it's Mississippi State, uh, yeah, you're in trouble. And that seat for Pittman will be getting real hot. I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocates what I'm doing. I'm just assuming the worst. Okay? That would be the absolute worst case scenario. I think we win Saturday and then you got the four game gauntlet, which I think if you go two and two, that's amazing. You go three and one, holy crap, I need to change the pants. But regardless, I feel good about this upcoming weekend. Clean the things up that we need to clean up and just put these dudes away. It'll be a big win for us. Sweet BYU. And just give us some positive momentum heading into Death Valley. What fires me up most about KJ? That people can run at KJ and hit him as hard as they can with him standing there, and they will be the ones getting hurt. 
And it also makes me feel good about KJ that when he's running full speed, that guy's falling forward. I've yet to see anyone knock that man backwards, hitting him head on. I love that he's our quarterback. I love that we are benefit. I mean, we are very lucky to have KJ Jefferson quarterback because that dude's tough, knows how to take hits. He can make throws. He's improved year after year after year. He's had to play with new receivers year after year after year. And he's, you know, this turnovers is something that that Arkansas has not struggled with since KJ Jefferson started playing quarterback for the Racebacks because he is extremely efficient. I think he's thrown eight picks in two seasons compared to like 40-something passing touchdowns. That's amazing. You keep yourself in a lot of football games when you don't turn the ball over. You keep yourself in a lot of games. So I, I could talk for days about KJ, and he's done more than enough for Arkansas. I mean, even for the last two years, but this is his legacy year because he's going to go to the league. This is the year that he leaves his legacy, and legacy is ultimately everything. I mean, if he leads us to 8-4, and 9-3 in his last year as a Razorback, and he will have won nine games first year as a starter, you know, down year with seven, but then you win eight, nine, ten games your last year, that's one of the most consistently winning quarterbacks in Razorback history for three straight years. And I know that is a sad. All right, sorry, that got caught off. My sister called me in the middle of that, and the one bad thing about doing this all off my phone is that Whenever someone calls me, what do you know? It was stopped the recording right there and then. But was talking about the legacy of KJ. I was talking about basically how I think that he's done enough in his two years to leave a great legacy at Arkansas. He's got a chance to, I think, break Brandon Allen's passing record. He's got the chance to break a lot of records at Arkansas. But if you finish off the season with eight, nine, even ten wins – talking best-case scenario, then he will be, I think, consistently the most winning quarterback in a long time at Arkansas, which is a sad thing because, you know, the program was in the dumps for a little bit, and Austin Allen was a solid quarterback. I loved eight back there at quarterback. But we won, I believe, seven games his junior year and his senior year we won four. Brandon Allen's... Junior year, we won seven games. Next year, we won eight. But year before that, we were terrible. You know, they've been – and then, you know, after Austin Allen, we basically sucked hind tit for like, I don't know, four or five years. I blame Bielma, and then ultimately, you know, you got Clem Morrison there somewhere, which, by the way, Clemson falling out of the rankings, two games in Chad Morris being there, you did that to yourselves by bringing that clown back in the building. But, yeah, this is a legacy year for KJ. He would leave Arkansas a legend if, if you know, we exceed expectations this year. And I think he already will be leaving Arkansas a legend. And there, I know he has the opportunity to come back another year due to COVID, but there's no way he does. And I wouldn't want him to because he's done more than enough for us. The only reason he'd come back is if he got hurt or if he really liked his NIL money, which, you know, is understandable. He got certain college athletes like Arch Manning, who 
won't play it down for Texas this year, might not even play it down for Texas next year, who makes almost $2.5 million a year, which is flat-out ridiculous. That is insane. I would I would be so mad if I was a college athlete or a former college athlete that could have made a lot of money like Johnny Manziel. That guy could have made $20 million in a friggin' season. You can go down the list of guys. All right, moving on. No, I just went down a rabbit hole. How do people at BYU as 100% W after the first half of this past week, plus maybe no nudie and Rocket being out? It's a good question, and I agree. It's not a guaranteed W. I think we're all acting like it's a guaranteed W because of how we beat them last year and we were a worse team last year and we're getting them at home. <clears throat> and honestly, I don't mean disrespect by this, but I don't view BYU as a great or historically good football program. I know they do have a solid program name. They put guys in the NFL. They put, I mean, shoot, they have, God, yeah, Ash Wilson went there, but, you know, Taysom Hill went there. Puka Nakua went there. Hell, Jamal Williams at one point was there, but, you know, y'all, I'll let y'all figure out why he got kicked out of BYU, but, man, that put some guys in the NFL. That's for sure. I know I'm probably missing a big name, but um, regardless, I just think that we got him at home. It's a night game. Our defenses looked really solid. If our defense didn't look near as good, I think people would be more worried. But because our defenses look good these first two weeks, I think people are a lot more confident that if for some reason our offense is slow, our defense can keep us in games, which I hope isn't the case. And I know the past two years it's kind of been the opposite. Our offense has had to keep us in games. And not that we've been out of a game. We've won by three touchdowns or more in both the first two games this season. It was just that last week looked stagnant as hell. And it can't look stagnant this week or else BYU – if, if our defense doesn't play well and our offense is stagnant, BYU will walk in here and beat us. And we cannot have that. That is a absolute – that absolutely cannot happen. So Saturday we got to bring it. And leave no doubt while we do it. Last thing, Kennedy on the chopping block. Cody Kennedy. Yeah, um, if the offensive line keeps playing like this, there's already a lot of people that don't like him, honestly. Him and Pittman are boys. That's why I think he has a little bit bigger leash than most. And, I mean, offensive line hasn't been bad in the past at all, but, I mean, yeah, first two weeks have been a little concerning. But to Kennedy's credit, he is dealing with a brand-new offensive line and he's got a couple returners, but, you know, not like the number of returners he had in the past. But if our offensive line continues with subpar play, I think we'll have a new line coach at the end of the year. Is eight and four still my prediction, even with the O-line issues? Like I said in the first episode of the season, the offensive line in their performance is going to determine how well we do. Because we got dogs at quarterback. We got a dog at running back. We got dogs at receiver. We have a solid young tight end. Our defense is playing well right now. We have a great kicker. The offensive line's only question mark. And obviously there's injuries. But if the O line can figure it out, yeah, I'm still firm in eight and four. I'm still firm in nine and three. Yeah, you know what? I might sound like I'm smoking crack, but you know, it's whatever. It's my prediction. I really don't care what other people think. But I do think eight and four 
I, I think they're that if the offensive line plays well, there's no reason we shouldn't win eight games, at least eight games. I know I said nine and three at the beginning of the year, and I'm still standing by it. So is KJ still a Heisman candidate? Unfortunately, I don't think he was in the first place. Rockets got more of a chance than he does, and not playing two games really doesn't help your case. But, I mean, I was looking at Heisman odds before the season started, and freaking Arch Manning had better odds than KJ Jefferson. And Arch Manning, I think, is QB3 at Texas. I don't even think he's a backup. It helps to have a last name like Manning. Dom Sam. I think KJ, some, some people have made good points. And Brandon Walker, who I strongly despise, made a great point on one of his pods the other day. He said that if K.J. Jefferson played for Georgia or Alabama, he would be in the Heisman race. And I know a lot of people have said that before that are Arkansas fans, and that is so true. If K.J. Jefferson had the year he did the past two years and he played at Georgia, hell, he might not be here right now. He might be in the league. He might be – yeah, he'd be a – he'd be on the Heisman watch list, probably in top five. That's just the amount of disrespect that Arkansas gets from the national media because all they want to do is protect their damn blue bloods. Hell, you have half a good, you have a decently good season at Texas compared to, you know, because the media loves Texas. Quinn Ewers has a halfway decent season, but KJ has better stats. Doesn't matter what our record is. Quinn Ewers will get the Heisman votes over KJ just because the media wants certain teams and drives for certain teams to be good or hopefully they'll be good no matter what. Texas being point A. The Blue Bloods being point A. Alabama, USC, Georgia, which, you know, Georgia and Alabama is understandable because they've won recently and they have a consistent record of winning. USC hasn't won shit in a long time. Tulane pieced them up in the Rose Bowl. Then you got Texas, who I think in the last 10 years, their Big 12 record is 60-54. and 54. Yeah, it's not impressive. They've had four first round draft picks in ten years. That's not impressive. They went eight and five last season. Whoop de fucking do. You think you, the quarterback who goes eight and five last year deserves to be in the Heisman watch in the top five? Hell no. Not a chance. The year we were eight and four and won nine games after beating Penn State in the Outback Bowl. We beat Penn State, LSU, Texas A&M, and Texas that year. No one even thought about KJ in the Heisman race. If Texas would have had that record and beaten those teams, Quinn Ewers would be in the Heisman race. 1,000%. And I'm dying on that hill. Who wins an Oklahoma drill? Joey or Daniel? Would pay to see that. We all know Joey's like Khabib in the late rounds, for those who know. Is the only question mark on the team, the offensive line, seems like the other group's very solid. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. The O-line is the biggest question mark. And then maybe depth in the secondary, I'd say. That'd be the only other group. But, yeah, glaring concern is 1,000% in the offensive line. All righty, well, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Views from the Hill. Hopefully, next time we talk, Hogs are 3-0 and and ranked, hopefully, going into Death Valley against LSU Tigers. I will see you all next week.